Ryan McGee, not talking about the bottom 10 this week. We're talking about the big boys. Technically the college football playoff doesn't start for another month, but it feels like it already did last week in Ann Arbor. Yeah. I have always argued that it's kind of like, uh, you know, a secret society, right? The bracket was already there. You just got to look for it. I've always said the quarterfinals earned the conference championship games. But yeah, it felt like, I mean, that was an elimination game at the big house. McCord looks, fires, intercepted, and Michigan will win the game. And, I, you know, I was at the Iron Bowl. That was an elimination game for Alabama. Airspace to cover for Milrow. Still looking, firing, near corner. It's caught! Touchdown, Alabama! On a fourth and a mile. And now uh, we get into the actual official bracket part of it. So what do you say to everyone who earlier this month, like one of the greatest sports talk callers in the history of the world said, Paul, Michigan ain't really played nobody yet. How do you feel about those who criticize their strength of schedule? Uh, I was one of them. I mean, there's no question about it. And I, I caught a lot of flack because I did not have Michigan in my playoff top four until this week, you know, all of us writers at ESPN.com, we always bang out our top four every Saturday night, and I didn't have them in there. Listen, their biggest win before they finally beat Penn State at Penn State was over UNLV. That's a fact. And so it was hard for me to listen to people criticize Georgia because in theory they had played no one, and a lot of those complaints were coming from the middle part of the country, and I'm like, you know, this is just this is what the Big Ten schedule is now. Back when, I, when we were kids, it was Ohio State and Michigan and the other eight teams or the other however many teams. And now it's kind of that way again, but they took care of business, you know, in, in the one gigantic game they've played. And as a result, they'll be playing for a conference championship. What do you think a game like that tells us about what we're about to see in the Power Five title game weekend coming up? think it tells you that you better be ready because again I was at the Iron Bowl Alabama uh, had a a 0.1% chance according to the mystically accurate you know uh, playoff index or or power index right and they won the football game and you know when I look at all the numbers and they're going to be throwing them at you for the next week which is Iowa should not do this and Louisville should not do that and this team shouldn't do this because of percentages and, and, and lines and whatever else all I'm telling you is is that uh, you know you better be ready because at the end result we still have the same teams we used to have at this stage, but I also know what I've seen and what I've seen says they better be ready. While the college football playoff technically doesn't start for another month, if you look closely, you can see that in many ways it already has. Look no further than the fireworks of rivalry week. While appearing to keep up with the decades-old traditions, they are actually setting the table for the winner-go-home repercussions of this weekend's conference championships. So today, Ryan McGee joins us to talk about the chaos of this unofficial bracket and then dares to look at the unpredictable future of college football, our favorite Saturday pastime. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Wednesday, November 29th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. 
The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, Mr. McGee, let's get right into the Power 5 title games in the order in which we can watch them. First up on Friday, we've got the final Pac-12 title game with number four Washington taking on number six Oregon in Vegas on Friday night. Do you think this is a fitting end to a once proud conference out here where I live in California? Yeah, it was a once proud conference that's proud again. Problem is it's too late. If they had done like 30% of what they've done this year, four years ago, maybe even three years ago, the Pac-12 next year would still be the Pac-12 instead of the Pac-2. But now we have a rematch of what I have said all year was one of the best games of the season, uh, Washington and Oregon. Oregon lost that game by three points back on the 14th. And now we're four seconds from 42. Missed it! And the Huskies survive! And Oregon has been unstoppable since. And meanwhile, you got Michael Penix Jr. against Bo Nix which is going to come down to a lot of people, a lot of Heisman voters determining where they're going to send their votes, at least having these guys on their ballot. And, and Bo Nix is just rolling over people while Michael Penix Jr. has become, I've never done Clinton, and I think I know you well enough to know you probably haven't either. These escape rooms, right, where you pay a lot of money to be locked up and then you got to solve a mystery to get out. That's what Michael Penix Jr. does every single week, including the Apple Cup. So I have no idea who's going to win the game on Friday night in the Pac-12. I just know that I'll be watching because if it's anything like the game we had in October, I got to watch it. Washington versus Oregon, a rematch, but it's also effectively a playing game, Ryan. Loser goes home. Yeah. All Oregon has done since it lost to Washington is bulldoze people, bulldoze other teams. All Washington has done since it escaped against Oregon is escape again. And again, they've won one possession games in four of the past six. And their defense is porous. But, you know, it's 2023. Most defenses are porous. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this game. And it feels like, this is why I love college football. No offense to the pros. But it all looks the same to me on Sunday. When we look at the teams that are playing for conference championships this weekend, and it starts on Friday night, the personalities are so different and the style of play is so different depending on what region it is and what team it is and who your quarterback is. And to me, um, that's part of the excitement of it and part of why I refuse to predict anything. Now, let's move on up to the Big 12 title game. Number seven, Texas, the Longhorns. They take on number 20, Oklahoma State, the Cowboys on Saturday at noon. What does Texas need to do here to get the attention of the committee, Ryan? Well, they just have to win the game because this head-to-head win they had over Alabama at the very beginning of the season clearly carries weight in the room. And and when you do, so I've done several of these 
college football playoff selection committee mock selection, you know, exercises. And you sit in the same room in Texas where the real committee sits. And you, you got the same computer screens and the same guy at the end of the room who's adding it all up. And they give you your three-ring binder. And there's only four criteria listed in that thing. And head-to-head results is among that list. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who we think Alabama is now versus who they were then, which is a completely different team. Jalen Milrow, the quarterback alone, is worth a lot of extra points. But the reality is Texas won the football game. So if Texas takes care of business, even if Alabama were to upset Georgia, they they have the head-to-head. And that's why you schedule those games. So they just need to take care of their business, whether they win by three touchdowns or they win by three points. And Oklahoma State, don't you know the mullet man, all he wants to do, he's already ruined Oklahoma's last Big 12 season. All he wants to do now is ruin Texas's chance at one more Big 12 championship. Getting on down to the showdown that everybody has been waiting for, your neck of the woods, the SEC championship between number one Georgia and number eight Alabama. You said earlier this year on our program that everyone made a mistake letting Alabama get their act together, and somebody probably should have knocked them off while they still could. Is Georgia going to pay the price for that? Well, I I put Georgia in that same boat. You know, Georgia has a quarterback that's young and trying to get his feet underneath him. Well, now he does. And, you know, Georgia have Brock Bowers, who might be the best football player in the country in college, and he was hurt in the middle of the year. Now he's back. I mean, they are back at full strength. Alabama looked completely lost in September, and their quarterback, Jalen Milrow, was benched by Nick Saban. And the reason that he was benched was it was a message. You either get on board or you don't, because we got plenty of guys over here on the bench. And it woke Jalen Milrow up. And you saw the guy who single-handedly won the Iron Bowl, you know, just last Saturday. So Georgia has, for all they've accomplished, and they have a chance to be the first team to win three straight national championships since Minnesota, go Golden Gophers, back in the 30s, right? And and for all they've accomplished, there's one thing they've still never done is beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. And they're 0 for 4. And so I, I know Kirby Smart well enough to know that that's the kind of stat that drives him completely insane. And he wants to beat his old mentor, Nick Saban, you know, in that building in Atlanta, just up the road from Athens. That's the one thing they haven't done. And so uh, to, to do what they want to do next, they have to do something they've never done before, uh, which is beat Alabama in that building first weekend in the summer. Right, but what does that look like? A one-loss Alabama team, a one-loss Texas team. How do you, with your knowledge of the binders, if you will, see that plan out if it goes that way? Well, it's crazy because, you know, there is a scenario, and this is coming from a guy who co-hosts a show on the SEC Network. There is a scenario where the SEC could get left out of this thing. If Florida State runs the table, uh, even without Jordan Travis then they're going to be in. And if you're an undefeated Power 5 Conference champion, you're going to be in. If Washington wins, they're in. Um, you know, but, but now you're looking at Texas, potentially with a loss, but if their win is over Alabama and Alabama beats Georgia, I really don't know because Georgia's been the number one team. Um, and, and then Michigan's just sitting there. If Michigan runs, an undefeated Power 5 champion is going to get in. The problem is if you are one of these other teams – um, there are a lot of scenarios where we, we could have two undefeated Power 5 champions, three maybe, um, but we could have, you know, as little as one or zero. So you don't think Georgia's a lock here? If Georgia loses to Alabama 
and they lose badly. And the committee will tell you scores don't matter. They totally matter. Um, if Again, it goes back to head-to-head. If, if Alabama's only losses to Texas and Texas wins the Big 12, and let's say Michigan takes care of Iowa like they're supposed to, the loser of the SEC championship game is going to need some help. And uh, and I don't. I, there is a scenario where Georgia couldn't get in there. Right now, according to our numbers, it's Michigan, Oregon, Florida State, and then Georgia getting in over one loss, Texas. But that's only if uh, if things go to chalk, which I don't believe they will. You just mentioned Florida State, and we talked about the ACC. If they can hold on after looting Jordan Travis. You know, that happened a couple weeks back. They're probably in. But Louisville, listen, they're coming in. They just lost to Kentucky. That's a rivalry game, and they haven't beaten Kentucky in a while. Who do you think is going to break here? Well, I've not been, even when Jordan Travis was healthy, I've not been on the Florida State train. I I like what they're doing. It's great to see Florida State in the conversation. But the reality is is that I don't believe that head-to-head they would they could beat one of these two teams in the Pac-12. Uh, I don't think they'd beat the two teams in the SEC championship game. Um, you know, Michigan's finally made me a believer uh, based on what they did without a head coach against Ohio State. So if Florida State wins the ACC undefeated, then yes, they deserve to be in. But Louisville, as you say, is good. Louisville is a team that were picked eighth to finish in the ACC this year. Eight. Louisville's biggest issue is every now and then, at least – a couple of drives a game, they look like the team we, we picked to finish eighth, right? How do you lose to Pitt? How do you have the year that you've had and you lose to Pitt? How do you have the year that you've had and uh, and you get pushed around by Kentucky, a wounded Kentucky team in the second half? So Louisville can win the game. Um, Florida State is better. Um, but I don't believe, um, and I look forward to, uh, to reading the social media posts later from the folks in Tallahassee, but I don't believe a Florida State is at the same level yet as these other teams we're talking about. Putting a bow on this thing because we're getting up on the holiday season. Closing out the title games, we have the triumphant return of Jim Harbaugh. Our long national nightmare is over, Ryan. It's unbelievable. He's going to be back on the sidelines. You know, flowers are blooming. Birds are chirping. The number two Wolverines take on the number 17 Iowa Hawkeyes. Happens on Saturday night. Is this the coronation for Michigan? Or do we think that the Ferentz boys can help add a little chaos to the committee's task? I mean, this has nothing to do with the fact that it's Michigan, but the sports writer in me would love for Iowa that everyone loves to make fun of that never, that barely breaks 20 points. I would love to see them just drag this thing down into a tractor pull in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium, which would be perfect. But the reality is, this is what Iowa does Iowa takes care of business in their division. Iowa gets to Indianapolis, but Iowa typically does not get out of Indianapolis. You know, the Harbaugh being back, I'm I'm impressed with what that staff has done because I don't care who you are. And when I talk to head coaches, they say, yes, we're CEOs and we're figureheads, but not having the man on the sideline to make the call in a close game for them to have handled the Ohio State game like they did, I'm completely impressed. I, I, here's the twist on this, Clint Yates. You may not know this, but uh, for whatever reason, we have learned now that Ric Flair – and Jim Harbaugh are like old buddies because Harbaugh made an appearance at WrestleMania like in the in the 90s or 80s or something when he was playing in the league. So Flair, for whatever reason, Flair like went after Paul Feinbaum on, on, on social media. Like, 
Paul, you don't make as much money as I do. I spent more money on spilt liquor than you made last year. All that stuff. All right. So, so just to be clear here, he 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 went to Michigan. He he gave the team a speech on how to be the heel at, at Jim Harbaugh's request. The, the week that Harbaugh knew he's going to lose his his appeal or, or even you know just withdraw his appeal. But hey, listen, I'm old enough to remember when just a few years ago, uh, Rick Flair was on Georgia's sideline. And I'm old enough to remember when he was a South Carolina fan, gave good game cocks. I'm, I'm old enough to remember when he was a Texas Tech fan. He played football at Minnesota. Maybe that's it. Maybe he doesn't want Georgia to break Minnesota's record of three straight championships. But but that's how weird things have gotten here as December approaches. We now have a, a Ric Flair, Paul Feinbaum social media beef. You know, shouts to Coach Moore, who in that game, as far as I'm concerned, completely outcoached Ryan Day, and it's why they won the game. Speaking of Ohio State, is there anything that can happen to get them back in the mix? They need a lot of help, but it, but it's it's so you're saying there's a chance, right? I mean, again, I'm looking at the the playoff predictor from our analytics people at ESPN, and uh, they say that Ohio State still has a 9% chance to, to make the playoff and a 3% chance to win the championship, which, by the way, is 1% higher than it says Washington has a chance to win a national championship, which is weird. But they're the lowest ones on the board. Uh, so, yeah, there's a chance. But they what the Ohio State fans need to do is they need to stop with the Ohio chant and they need to practice their you know, I-O-W-A chant because they need for Iowa to take care of business. They need for Louisville to take care of business. They need for Oklahoma State to take care of business. They need as much help as they could possibly get. But but I still think they're good. I still think Marvin Harrison is great. Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I think they could make noise if they got in there. But uh, but you know they only had to win one game to get there, and they didn't do it. And so now they have to wait on everyone else. Coming up, we're going to talk about the future of this sport in terms of what everybody knows is the most difficult thing to arrange. That would be the. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to, say, $100 and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash 
Gift Finder. All right, McGee, much has been said and written about the demise of the Pac-12. I live in Los Angeles. It has been ugly to watch up front and personal. We will be getting a pretty great send-off in Vegas on Friday. What have you to say in your obituary for the Conference of Champions as it's been come to know as a result of one Bill Walton? Yeah, well, and I I wrote an ode to the Pac-12 at the start of the season and kind of kind of warned everyone, watch this thing enjoy it because it's going to go away. I mean, no offense to, uh, you know, the pack two, the two pack, you know, with, with Washington state and, and Oregon state. But, but, but to me, you know, I grew up in the Southeast United States and there was nothing quite like watching the Rose bowl or watching the USC UCLA game where they both wore their home uniforms. The royalty of college football is in assembly. The Rose bowl where the festival of postseason play was started more than 100 years ago in the city of Pasadena, California. What I love about college football is I love the regionalism of it. And then when you cross over those regional boundaries and, you know, an SEC team plays a Pac-12 team in a bowl game, or you know, when I was a student at Tennessee, Tennessee had a home-and-home home with UCLA. There was just a personality to it, and it felt like it was – it literally felt 3,000 miles away. And I think they felt the same way about watching football in other parts in the country. So when when things like this happen and we have this homogenization of football, I worry. You know, I worry about, you know, losing the personality of different areas and the pride of this is our part of the nation against your part of the nation on a Saturday afternoon. And so to me, that's what the Pac-12 was. The Pac-12 just felt fancy, you know, when I was growing up. It just felt it felt like felt like Hollywood. And so uh, I hope that that personality will at least live a little bit as they get on airplanes to go play, uh, you know, Rutgers in Maryland. I'm not going to go off on a whole rant about how this affects everybody who's not a football player because we don't have the time, but I'm with you on that. It just feels like there was a way to avoid this. It felt doable, but we're just not quite there yet. Well, listen, and their leadership was given chance after chance after chance over the course of two commissioners. Just figure it out. Go get us some money. And they didn't do it. And, um, you know, the the reality is those teams could have left a long time ago and they didn't do it. And and they waited and waited and waited and waited and it didn't happen. And so they're, uh, they're all going to get on a lot of airplanes and buses next year. Fight on, I guess. Anyways, moving to the Big Ten, <laughs> the 2024 schedule. I guess it's technically the Big 18 at this point. It has already been released. And looking at what you alluded to, how much they need to travel, juggle the rivalry games, all of this is quite mind-boggling to be honest money aside ryan and i am on record as saying i hope this fails i've said this on national television but do you think this will work i always go back to a conversation i had with roy kramer and for folks that don't know roy kramer was commissioner of the sec uh, in the 90s and he's the mastermind He's the one that came up with a conference championship game. He's the one that divided the SEC into the East and the West uh, based on a, on a rule for lower division playoff. He found kind of this loophole. And he's the one that came up with the BCS formula. This was all Roy Kramer. And I asked him in a story for ESPN the Magazine 12 years ago, you know, what does the future look like? And he said, I don't know what the conferences are going to be, but you can't have more than 16 teams. And then I spent some time with Mr. Kramer about a year ago, last January, 
at his home in Tennessee, and he's long retired and in his 90s. And he looked at me, he said, do you remember what I told you? He remembered it. And so all I know is the smartest, the smartest administrator I've ever known in athletics, and I've been involved in collegiate athletics my entire life, has said more than 16 teams is too much. That's why the SEC has stopped at 16 teams for now. That's why you see other conferences kind of capping. So that, that's what I worry about is, is you, can you be too big to, to succeed? And, and I worry about the, the weight being too much of trying to sustain all this. And, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of really smart people out there with computers who supposedly have, have this figured out, but I, I don't know. When the dust settles from all this, there's, of course, the Big 12. They're getting to Arizona, who are, by the by, a very good program this year. Arizona State, of course, the Colorado Fighting Primes, and Utah, who have been powerhouses in what was the Pac-12 for the past five seasons. They're also saying goodbye to Texas and Oklahoma, who are headed to the SEC, as we mentioned. But overall, for the Big 12 Conference, do the additions make up for the subtractions? Are we headed towards them just being kind of a way station kind of scenario for conferences that are otherwise going to change going down the line? I think they've done a really good job of saving what they have. They've kept their core. They're losing their two biggest brand names. That's just how it is. Uh, but you were never going to get them back. So what can you do to make yourself better? But now you're right. I mean, you're looking at – you're keeping rivalries – alive. You know, now BYU and Utah are in the same conference, right? Arizona and Arizona State, that still lives. You know, Colorado is going to be playing schools it hasn't played since the old Big 8 days. And there were some great games back then. So, it'll be interesting to see going forward, but I think that they did as good of a job as they could have possibly done if it wasn't for for some really odd massive financial deals that they did a few years ago, uh, you know, they could have very easily been the Pac-12 at this point. So I like what the Big 12's done. I think that the commissioner, Brett Yormark, who I've known since my NASCAR days a really long time ago, working at NASCAR, and he was there too. Um, I think Brett probably wishes he could have back his uh, take care of business comments when it came to uh, Texas Tech (laughs) in Texas because it was replayed on the Jumbotron at Texas followed by uh, CU in Arlington. So you talk about awkward. If Texas wins the Big 12 and Florida State, who's been raising hell by wanting to leave the ACC, did all summer, if they were to win the ACC and you know you got two teams playing for the Pac-12 championship who are leaving, and then you got Michigan with the coach who was, you know, uh, Michigan's in the process of suing and countersuing with their own conference these could be the people being handed trophies by the commissioners on Saturday. <laughs> it's oh going to be goodness. awesome. Oh, it's so weird. But this is the chaos that we root for. And speaking of chaos, the big elephant in the room is that the playoff expands next season to 12 teams. Is this the magic serum we need to cure all of our problems? Man, when we went into this with only four, you know, I, I, I grew up on small college campuses, Division two what we call FCS now used to be one double A and there were had 16 team playoffs. And I always said that was the perfect number. I don't like 12 because it's not, it's not evenly divisible right now. You got buys, which just feels very NFL to me. You either do eight or, or do 16. But all that being said, I went into only four teams kicking and screaming. And it took about three years for me to go. This is awesome. <laughs> And, and I, I still maintain 
the bracket exists, man. It's like secret invasion, right? If you really look around, it's around you. And, and, you know, this weekend is massive because it is essentially the quarterfinals for the playoff. Rivalry weekend was massive because it was essentially the first round of the playoff. And so what I don't want is I don't want regular season games that have always been such a big deal to just become like, you know, if the Bengals lose a game in September, they go, oh, it's okay. You know, we'll we'll get them again later. I just, I don't want that to happen to college football. So as long as the intensity still lives within September, October, and November, um, then I don't care how many teams are in the playoff. But we'll see, man. I, I didn't want to like four, but I really like four. Thank you, Ryan. May the force be with you. You too, brother. Appreciate it. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. Talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.